and welcome to this week's episode of Renoite. My name is Connor McQuibby. I'm your host as always. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast this week. We have new episodes every Tuesday and we are currently in the middle of what I'm calling the sixth season of Renoite. Got a bunch of really great episodes coming up and I'm so grateful for the guests who have been on already this season. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome Ignacio Baron Viela. He's the president and CEO of the Reno Philharmonic. This was a great episode to learn a lot because I am not necessarily a classical music person. I have tried learning piano recently. I enjoy playing some classical pieces, but I've never been to the Reno Phil. So it was awesome to learn about what the Reno Philharmonic is and the type of concerts that they do. It's not just the big symphonic stuff at the Pioneer Center. They also do Pops on the River. They have a patriotic music-themed event at the ballpark on July 3rd. So lots of cool stuff they're working on, and also education. We talked a lot about how important it is to learn about music as a young person, learn to play an instrument, the cooperation that is inherent in doing symphonic music. And we talked about the perception of the Philharmonic and classical music as being somewhat stuffy or unapproachable, and how he's working to make it more accessible for more audiences. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or episode topics, please let me know. You can shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, and be sure to follow me on Instagram as well. That's at renoites on Instagram. And now this week's guest, Ignacio Baron Viela. Ignacio Baron Viela, welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about today. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. So you are the the new, new-ish. You've been here, what, six months or so, I guess? Yeah, just over six months yeah, since that, I, I moved to Reno, and uh, it's been a pleasure. And you're the president and CEO of the Reno Philharmonic. To start, I'm not very well-versed in classical music, and I know I've heard of the Reno Phil, but I don't exactly know what the Reno Phil is. So can you just start, for people who are not that familiar with what the Reno Phil is and what your mission is, what is the Reno Philharmonic? Absolutely. Well, the Reno Philharmonic is professional orchestra. It's been 55 years, going to make uh, next year, it's been in the community. And our mission is really to inspire community through musical experiences and to bring possibilities and become a bridge of our community through what we offer uh, in terms of concerts on the stage, but also beyond the stage. We mm-hmm. have a number of programs in the community, educational programs, community engagement programs. So we are here to uplift the arts, inspire our community, and we are the largest arts organization in the northern part of the state. So very proud to represent and work with uh, such an organization like the Reno Phil. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, I definitely want to talk to you about all the different things that the Reno Phil is doing, because I know we had a phone call before, and it's more than just you know, big symphonic concerts at the Pioneer Center. There's a lot more that you do. And I want to talk about all those things. But first, just to learn a little bit about you. So you're newish to Reno. You came here, you were in, in Billings, Montana before with the, the symphony there, right? Correct, yes. Uh, and I was reading a little bit about, you were really successful there. And a lot of the things you did was raising more money, right? Like shoring up the financial sustainability. And I think that's something that you come from a business background. So can you just talk a little bit about your experience in Billings and kind of how that went and then what brought you here to Reno from there? Absolutely. And and let me start by saying that the way I connect with music, it was through really my my family. I mean, my grandmother used to be an opera singer. My dad played a number of instruments at home. And when I was in five years old, I was gifted a cello, and that really changed my life. I was lucky enough to play classical music in the very early stage of my life and study a number of years. But um, at some point, I mean, my career started as an engineer. I worked for a number of years in the corporate world, and 
learn a lot about again business and and how to make companies better. Uh, I was always in contact with music, playing orchestras in Europe uh, where I grew up. But uh, there was a point in my life where I was missing music so much, and I kind of thought maybe there is a way to connect, you know, the arts and the business mm-hmm. in an organic way. And then I thought this orchestra management path, um, which is when I moved to the U.S. in 2017. Before moving to Montana, I, I landed in California, Los Angeles, mm. uh, and, and I completed a b- business education over there. But you're right, like I was in, in Billings uh, with the Billings Symphony for four years. And, and really one of the projects there was to increase the exposure of the symphony there, but also to grow the orchestra financially mm-hmm. uh, to be able to accomplish more projects artistically. So we really put a, a lot of emphasis there. And, you know, it was it was a great time. Uh, I actually met my wife there, <laughs> now three years married. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And uh, we're looking for next chapter, next adventure. And we found there was an opening with the Renofill. And, and I already had heard about the Renofill Previously, because one of my uh, former mentors and also a good friend and also player with the Reno Phil, mm-hmm. uh, his name is Scott Faulkner. He was faculty member of a program that was organized by the League of American Orchestras to really teach the nuts and bolts of how to run an orchestra. Mm. So I learned that back in 2017, 2018, that uh, you know, the Reno Philharmonic was doing great things. And so, so the orchestra was somehow in the radar. And as I said, when, when I saw the opening... Uh, you know, came here and do the interviews and we fall in love with the community and the way everyone was welcoming us. And, and here we go now, uh, close to seven months here. I love that. Well, welcome to Reno. Thank you. I heard a little bit of a podcast that you were on that was like a culture shock themed podcast about moving from other places. And obviously you are uh, relatively new to both the United States, but also to like the West Coast. So Montana yeah. is a particular culture. Reno is a different city. So in your time so far in Reno, what are you enjoying about Reno in general, like as a as a community, as a city? Well, we're loving the outdoors. And I have to say, uh, I'm not uh, an expert in ski by any chance, <laughs> but this has been the winter where I really got into skiing oh, you for the, the first time yeah. in my life. And, and I keep saying my neighbor is from Montana, mm-hmm. coincidentally, but he keeps saying that I brought all the snow from, from yeah. Montana because it was really a great winter for skiers. Oh, uh, you, you picked the right winter to, to take up skiing for sure. Yeah, and uh, we've been enjoying uh, pretty much every other weekend. You know, we got the, the, the Tahoe Pass. And uh, anyway, so that's been a great discovery for us. Um, you know, other things, I mean, we, we've been just, you know, like, trying new places. I mean, going around Midtown and just talking to people like, ah, do you know about this restaurant and this place? And that's the way you, you get into the community. You connect with, you know, the people, the places. Also, you know, spending time, you know, with uh, different community leaders and partners and just trying to to get a better sense of the great things that are happening here. And I was amazed to see the growth Mm-hmm. Uh, the Reno's experiencing, uh, then the number of people moving here, the, the momentum that the local economy have right now is just fascinating. And I think it's very positive. And, and I keep thinking, you know, we keep thinking, how is that affecting the arts? How is that related to or the work that we do? How do we untap these opportunities? Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Very positive trend, I would say, and, and happy happy to see that happening around the community. Yeah, that's good. Do you think that being in kind of a, a growing community that's got more people coming here and more growth and energy, does that make for a good time to be working with the Reno Phil and kind of capitalizing on that energy and growth? How do those things kind of tie in with each other, like the growth of Reno as a city and the growth of the Reno Phil? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I like to see the orchestras, organizations that are existing communities to make communities better, mm-hmm. to really look at the what are the relevant 
priorities of the community and how do we become part of the solution. So when we see new workforce moving to Reno because of number of companies, then we try to ask, okay, who are they? Where are they coming from? Do they have any type of connection with the arts, any type of connection with the music? And how do we make sure that we introduce ourselves to them? We have started to put like new concerts outside or regular classical, symphonical performances, mm-hmm. like movie concerts, for example, right? And I remember my first concert here was at the end of October. We played at the uh, GSR mm-hmm. and we had a movie, uh, the Ghostbusters movie. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, so I was amazed to see you know, according to my colleagues, like how many new faces were attending. And I'm sure some of them actually people that maybe are like new members of the community. Mm. So we're trying to really think about what we do, how it's relating to the existing members and also potential members. Also, I mean, like thinking about companies, corporations that like to support the community, mm-hmm. trying to think about what are their their interests and how do we partner with them uh, in relevant topics. Like, for example, before I came here, I know the orchestra had a huge project called Alter Landscape, Commission New Works. It's a new piece composed by a Peruvian-American composer, Jimmy Lopez Bellido, that tackles uh, relevant topics such as, you know, the, the landscape, the nature, the changes that have happened in the, in the ecosystem uh, and also like related to the pandemic times that we were living. So, you know, partnering with a museum to do this type of project or partnering with other companies that care about the climate uh, issues. I, I do see opportunities in many ways, also because of the cities growing, I get the potential to have more people joining concerts and also us going to new venues. There is a new development, real estate development out there, indoor and outdoor. So how do we make these connections with other places? Right. Yeah, and no, I think that being outside of just the the Pioneer Theater, I know we talked a little bit about there's you know concerts at, at the ballpark. There's one at I think the Globe Plaza yeah. coming up. There's uh, at Sand Harbor up at Lake Tahoe too. So yeah. I think that having different venues also kind of opens doors for people to attend things that they you know they might not otherwise if it was just at the Pioneer. So I think yeah, taking advantage of the you know the space that we have. There's right. a lot of wonderful spaces in Reno right. in which to perform music. Yeah, and and also, I mean, the the summer concerts that are around the Tahoe area, we have Bravo on the Beach and mm-hmm. San Harbor. Again, it's thinking about, again, wh- what is the area that we serve? How do we connect with maybe areas that we have not connected yet and, and, and think about these new spaces? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I think one, one of the perceptions that I think a lot of people probably have about the Philharmonic is that, and classical music in general, is that it's it's a stuffy thing. It's like an it's an older people thing. It's a rich people thing. Yeah. This just kind of oh, that's not for me. I think a lot of people have that thought about this type of music. Can you talk a little bit about both the reaching out to new audiences and like letting people know, hey, there's something for you at the Reno Phil. But also one of the core missions is to you know preserve and promote classical music. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about both of those things? Like how do you yeah. try to balance? preserving classical music yeah. in the original form and performance and uh, the tradition of it while also trying to expand and bring in new people. Absolutely. And and I think we were touching a little bit before the podcast, you know, we are here to represent everyone, but it's true. I mean, we have a, a very important component, which is historic base. We play music from like 500 years old. Right. Uh, but the times that we we're living, we we're conti- continuously in a transformation. We're changing, and we have to adapt. We have to be able to reinvent ourselves to what we do while keeping the tradition. So, in my opinion, we should be focusing on breaking barriers. You know, like making people comfortable. You don't have to dress in certain ways 
to come to see the Reno Phil. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know about classical music or study classical music before hearing a concert. Why? Because music is a language and a language that flows and it touches your heart. It moves you. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to know, you know, music to, to let the music to move you. You just have to be open for it. Just be there and listen. We're trying to make the uh, the pricing, the, the ticket pricing, as accessible as possible with, you know, discounts and also I'm very focused on the students and how the students can make it work for concerts because those are going to be the future patrons of the field. Mm. Um, I think the programming, as you were saying, is a huge component because... I mean, if you look at next season, we have incredible symphonies. You know, we have Mahler symphony, uh, Beethoven symphonies. Um, we have Sostakovich symphonies, great symphonic music from, you know, the, the more like romantic period to post-romantic. Uh, but also in our season, we'll have movie concerts. We'll have uh, pops concerts, patriotic music, trying to like bring like a different vibe of the film uh, because we want, you know, people that have certain musical tastes to join us because they like what we do. But also, since they are doing that, that's an opportunity for us to introduce new things that they might like or might not, mm. but we might see conversions, right. you know? So, and also, for me, what is very, very fascinating is to see the, the richness or the contrast in the audience type, like from age to demographic to, you know, uh, ethnicity, background. I think we're focusing on understanding Okay, who's in Reno right now oh, on the, the community, the county, and who are we missing? And mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we make these connections? Why are not, they are not able to come and see us? Or why we're not able to go and, and provide music for them? What are the gaps there? So to me, it's a crucial, it's a priority, it's a vital part of the Reno Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we should continue to focus on that. Yeah, and I know one of the things you worked on in Billings too was like diversity and equity and inclusion uh -huh. and, and that type of diversity, which I think probably ties into making the fill in general feel inclusive and welcoming. Can you talk a little bit about what you worked on in Billings with that and your thoughts around just diversity in general yeah. as it comes to the kind of work you're doing? Absolutely. So, you know, th that was one of the things that we focused with the Billings Symphony was understanding, and again, the, the, the community around Billings. And if you drive an hour outside Billings, you realize that maybe 60% of the population is Native American. Mm. Then you realize, okay, a number of people actually go to Billings to see basketball games, but they don't go to see the Billings Symphony. So uh, we were thinking about how to make connections with the Native American communities, with the tribes. First of all, we, we look inside and we realize, okay, we don't have representation at the board or the staff. So everything in, in, it starts in-house, right? So thinking about who is part of your organization and, and also how do you make these organic connections with their communities? Because what I see... In many cases, is that you kind of you focus on DEI and you want to just tick the box. And I did it and move on. But to me, it's more about how do you make this sustainable? How do you make sure that, you know, these um, underrepresented communities have some type of journey with the symphony and have an opportunity to know in more in depth and close what we do? And, and also they, they have like the motivation to join our concert. So what we did is we partnered with a number of artists from the Northern Cyan tribes, from the Crow Reservation, and we, we put a number of concerts. Programming was a huge component. Just put concerts together and we realized the type of audiences that was coming to the concert was different. Uh, so it kind of it's, it's like a journey. It's, you know, you started to create a momentum there. That's just one example. But in general, the inclusion piece of it is, is a journey. And first of all, you need to understand where you are in the journey. And again, just always looking at your communities and understanding who is not there and how do we make sure we close the gap. 
I was very involved with the Chamber of Commerce back there, and, and they have a, a specific group that was understanding, you know, different industries, you know, healthcare and energy and like how that journey was affecting uh, the community. So I'm hoping that here in Reno, we can get involved to really understand what are the priorities. And I mean, for example, 20, 30% of our population, maybe Hispanic Latin background. So how do we, how do we make sure we, we access that? And I know the language is a huge component. So mm -hmm. I'm starting to brainstorm with the team here in Reno. You know, do we need to consider make some promotion in Spanish, uh, more media in Spanish? Mm -hmm. uh, things like that, I think, are very important for us to, to move forward. Yeah. Are there are there people or organizations in, here in Reno that you've worked with or have good relationships with on that front as far as diversity and inclusion and stuff? You know, I'm still discovering. We had a number of conversations with the museum and I know uh, museum have really put uh, energy into untapping arts from different parts of our community. Uh, so I think that's been one partner that comes to my mind. I believe that, that you know, through UNR, the university has huge uh, focus on departments there and, and I love to explore more. Uh, one example that comes to my mind is the Basque department. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, one of our um, board members actually is the head of the the UNR uh, Basque studies. And, and I know that's uh, it's a huge component in this community. So we're trying to investigate how do we partner in, in a deeper way and, and what kind of opportunities are there through, through music, through art, mm -hmm. uh, just trying to tell the stories through the Basque community that moved to the, the United States by early 20th century. And, and it's just fascinating. I've been learning about it. I've been mm -hmm. reading about it. Yeah, that's, that's one thing that's on my uh, like to-do list is have an episode about the Basque history and community and culture here in Northern Nevada because it is something that's fairly unique in the United States. I don't know if there's really anywhere else in the United States that as much of a strong connection with the Basque history and culture. And I haven't done that on the podcast yet. So that's on, glad you mentioned that because that's on my to-do list. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is including young people. I know I mentioned yeah. that I think a lot of people think of classical music as, uh, sorry, old people who are listening, but that it's an old person thing. Uh, but how do you include young people? How do you get mm -hmm. people who are younger and have only really probably mostly been exposed to popular music, maybe mm -hmm. don't have like a background of you know, hearing classical music at home. Mm -hmm. How do you get young people who are really new to classical music entirely mm -hmm. involved? I know you talked about the the movie concerts, mm -hmm. which I think is a really fun way of kind of tying pop culture mm -hmm. to classical music. But can you just talk a little bit about uh, involving young people in, yes. in the arts? Part of it is how we promote ourselves. We have a huge social media presence. And I know that, you know, we have to really make sure that we we use the channels that young people use. So I've been learning more about, you know, social media with my team uh, most recently because I think that's a huge element for us to to show maybe in in few seconds, in a, in a minute or two, key moments of a concert and mm -hmm. suddenly like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, I, like, I'm interested, like, who are they and, and what do they play? And so that's, well, that's one way. The youth, I mean, there are connections, right? So some people are involved with the or youth orchestras mm -hmm. and we have four youth orchestras. We play a number of concerts per year, and with the, with the youth orchestras, we have parents, we have, you know, teachers coming, and I think that kind of spreads out, you know, the communication. Like, have you seen the the Reno Field Youth? Mm -hmm. So then is how our kids get to know us, and then share with their friends. Oh, I play an instrument, or so that, that's how, how another way to to access. Another one is again programming. You were mentioning like different type of concerts, whether it's movies or patriotic concert we are going to perform on July 3rd, Great Nevada Field, which mm -hmm. is a great, exciting partnership we have in Pops on the River. I mean, that's an, a popular event in the community, and, and we have all type of demographic coming there, younger or, or not. Uh, so, like, 
events that are outside or you know classic symphonic music are always a way to bring the youth the other element is like partnership with the university with the schools you know how do we make sure that you know we are somehow present when they talk about music in their classes do we have to maybe incorporate like uh, some type of lessons or mm-hmm. pro- like you know, more content uh, in their classes that are related to the field or can we invite them to see our rehearsals and concerts I think you know it's all leveraging the future audiences of the field uh, throughout education and I think those are some avenues to really make sure that we continue to spread the journey but let me share with you something because it's fascinating when I talk to different colleagues in the orchestra field, they all say like, oh, you know, I'm worried about the new generations and the audiences. And then I look back and like, we've been worrying about this for 500 years, <laughs> but we keep going, you know? Right. So I'm very confident, you know, th- this industry has survived pandemics and world wars. And we were we we're worried, oh, we're going to have concerts for a year or two and suddenly live streaming coming. Mm-hmm. So to me, the answer is the arts always find its way. Mm. And I think we have to have that in mind, like looking the perspective of the of history of, of the classical music and now evolving into other musics. I'm confident we'll continue because we need it because it's a medicine for our souls. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned that you got a cello when you were a child and you've learned to play an instrument. Can you talk a little bit about the connection between playing an instrument and learning an instrument and that turning into an appreciation of music. Is that yeah. something that you think is an important element of getting people to care about music is teaching them to actually participate in it from a younger age? hundred percent. I, I believe music, uh, music is a human right. Mm. Every, every single individual to have access to a music instrument. Why? Not only because of the skills that you, you develop, but also because what music teaches for your life, it makes you grow as a human being. It makes you realize the importance of communication, of listening. It brings you confidence. It's a place of refugee for like for emotions. It's a place of understanding of areas of you know development. It's a place where you learn how to put something together with people and make friendships and develop relationships. So, you know, what music can provide to the life of, 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 a, of a young kid is invaluable. And that's what I will encourage every single parent that is listening right now. If you have not provided an instrument to your kids and, and somehow you don't have the, the ways to do it, Reno Phil is, is here to find ways to make the music uh, possible for every kid in this community. And we really love to get there because, uh, as I said, I think that's what makes our world better. The thing, music uh, unites people and, and heals communities. And one of the things that I love that we do is, you know, when we see people in our audiences, they're coming together. And I know, we know, there is a lot of division and in opinions and, you know, but then when you see them, they're coming because of the music and then they're talking, they're connecting because of the music. You see the power right there. That is, to me, the essence of why it's so important that someone in the very early stages of their lives, they get access to music and mm-hmm. play an instrument. And I would even extend that to adults, too. I started learning piano about six months ago, and it's been amazing to learn a skill and to be able to understand you know, more how music works as you know, playing a little bit of music, even if you're not that great, even if you're a new learner, it does create a greater appreciation for music in general. So not just for kids, even for adults, if you have never played an instrument before, that's something that you can do as an adult as well. So I also recommend you know, adults pick up an instrument. Never it's too late. Huh? Right? No, exactly. Seriously. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Uh, what do you like about the cello? So you played cello forever. What do you appreciate about that instrument and playing it in general? Yeah. Well, what I love about the cello, and let me say, I'm, I'm considering myself now a retired cellist after a while, but uh, I still have my cello. I love the uh, the range that we can play. You know, we can play the melodies like a violin player, but we can also play the like the very bass, like a bass player. I, I like the texture of the melody the possibilities that a cello can provide. Uh, it's just the coolest instrument. Also, the way, you know, when you when you get the cello, you know, the way it fits into your into your body, you know, it's kind of a natural. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, like it's, it's an instrument that you hug you while you're playing. You kind of hug, right? Right, <laughs> right. It becomes like, you know, you, you're touching almost with your, you know, your chest, with your heart. Uh, when you're playing, it, it really becomes part of you. Uh, you embrace the instrument and uh, you develop that relationship with the instrument. So I, I really love that. And also the cellists are the coolest people ever. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned like working together and collaborating. And I think that in an orchestra, especially, there's a lot of people on stage that are all need to be very synced up and working yeah. together. Can you talk a little bit about that element of an orchestra, the, the cooperation, the collaboration? Mm-hmm. Is it in like an inherently very collaborative art to be making music with this many instruments? Can you just talk a little bit about that cooperation and working together element of this type of music? Absolutely. And let me say it's collaboration in the States and outside the States, because if I had to think about the number of hours that are required to put a concert together behind the scenes mm-hmm. that you want to say so, um, you know, with all the promotion of the event, all the making sure that financially the event is viable, mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, all the, the technological components of the, of the event exist there, like the lighting, the sound equipment, the cameras, and like getting all the crew and the stage hands all kind of making sure everything is right on the stage. So that's, you know, that collaboration is huge. But then, of course, thinking about the the music itself and on the stage, we have our music director, Laura Jackson, which is a pro. I mean, she's, she's amazing, but great leader. And just making sure every section, you know, is the orchestra sounds like one and that, you know, the the final artistic product or, or you know, the performance when it, when it goes out there comes together and making sure everyone is hearing each other, understands what is in my section, in my part, but also what happens in the other parts. And they start making music together because the music director really or the conductor brings the character and the personality of, of the piece just making making all all the all the voices and 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 tapping all the the contrast the the, the elements the the texture the rhythm the the, the harmonies um, it requires I mean everyone has to be really on to make sure that that collaborative effort becomes again like one and and then when it goes to the audience and then you see the audience really receiving that artistic experience and and you realize there is some type of a uh, a connection there. Mm. Uh, it's hard to explain with words, but you know what I mean? It's like there's a, a common point where, you know, the orchestra and the music flows and then the audience receives the music, but it's a, in between there is a space that exists where everything gets together. Mm. So I would say it's like uh, that's where the total collaboration, you know, comes when, when, when we, we have the audience on the, on the other side receiving it. Yeah. You mentioned Laura Jackson, who's the conductor and music director and has been for a really long time. Can you just talk a little bit more about Laura and what she does and your experience working with her so far? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure working with her. Her passion, her knowledge, her wisdom, her dedication to the Reno field is just remarkable. Uh, you know, if I can think of a person that has also helped me uh, throughout my transition, I mean, I cannot think of a person than Laura. She's been really... Um, 
really innovative here in, in Reno. I mean, she's been leading the Reno field artistically the last years. And thanks to her, we have commissioned uh, incredible pieces and new works that have been performed for the first time in the world, mm -hmm. world premieres here in Reno. And now they are being performed in other places in the world. Uh, I'm thinking again, like Alter Landscape or Transcend, another piece that was performed uh, previously. You know, we had orchestras like San, San Francisco Symphony or Boise Philharmonic. Uh, I think we're going to have Buffalo Philharmonic playing, you know, these pieces. And I think it's, this is really remarkable for a community of our size to have such a, such an artistic leader. Um, it's, it's been an honor. And also her connections in the industry are very, very powerful, very important. And she's part of the Taki also fellowship, which is an organization that has been working the last, I believe, 25 years just bringing opportunities to female conductors. She was a fellow of the Taki also uh, many years ago, and she's been in touch with the, with the organization. And thanks to that that fellowship, I, I think, you know, the Reno Field is benefiting with, with bringing, you know, guest conductors or also like being part of commissioning uh, new works. Uh, so again, it's been, it's been a real pleasure and I'm um, looking forward to continue to work with her. Hey there, listeners. I am interrupting just for a moment to tell you about a way that you can help support the work I'm doing with this podcast. One thing I really value about doing the Renoites podcast and creating this project is that it is independent. I don't have sponsors that I'm accountable to. I don't have a lot of what I consider annoying podcast ads. And that is because this show is supported by listeners just like you. If you want to help support this project, you can do so by signing up on Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash renoites. Patreon's a site that lets creators like me have a direct connection with the people who want to support their work. You can sign up for as little as $3 a month. I have occasional exclusive content or early episodes, merch, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that for patrons. And it's just a great way for you to be able to support local media like this in a very easy way. I hope you'll consider checking it out. That's patreon.com slash renoites. And now back to the episode. You talked about commissioning new works and having works that are introduced here and being performed other places, and then also visiting artists and performers from other places. What's the relationship like between, you know, you've worked at a couple different cities and symphonies. Can you talk a little bit about what that collaboration is and how that, I guess, the industry as a whole nationwide interacts with each other and how you collaborate or cooperate with other symphonies and orchestras in other cities and markets? Absolutely. And part of it is, you know, we the Reno Field is a member of the League of American Orchestras. I believe thousands of orchestras that are, you know, registered, uh, at least a thousand for sure, uh, with the league. And and we try to uh, to meet every year, at least in person, at least a couple of times. Through the League of American Orchestras, we develop the know-how of what's going on in other areas. I mean, there's like such as, you know, like media or like news that we receive uh, from what's going on in the industry. And then when we get the opportunity to meet in person in conferences. There are always always sessions about like certain topics, like let's talk about new audience development or you know inclusion in orchestras or programming in orchestras or challenges with fundraising. And then you know you realize, well, my challenges are your challenges, and of course it always relates to the community itself. Otherwise, uh, we are a member of the um, Association of Symphony Orchestras of California, AXO, hmm. uh, which I know we're <laughs> we're just right there, you know, but we're we're a member. And yeah, close enough. Close enough, and some of our uh, 
team members are actually in contact with with them uh, from time to time and uh, I've been attending some meetings as well and that is also a nice source uh, of understanding on what's going on when we have something to celebrate or something to share that, that we are doing here for us as the Reno Phil, it's also very important to put the words out Reno or outside the state mm-hmm. just let the world hey we're doing this you know and then sometimes news are picked up by other places and, and that's how we might receive an email or a call like, hey, I want to know about what you're doing. And and then, of course, we that's the U.S., but of course we have, you know, the nature of our industry. I mean, there are orchestras all over the world. Mm. And you realize, wow, in, I mean, in Europe, maybe the orchestra world is a little different. Uh, and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that if, if you wanted to know. But uh, how do we continue to observe and learn what's happening outside the U.S.? And are there things that we can bring here? Or maybe also we bring international artists. Mm. Sometimes they come here and the, their their talent, their skills, and their awareness of what's going on is very reaching for us to keep learning and developing new ideas. Yeah. So with with the kind of international background that you have, can you talk a little bit about the difference between the orchestra world in Europe versus here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, one of them is the, um, I guess, is the business model. Mm-hmm. Um, here in the U.S., you know, if you think about the way the orchestras are making money, <laughs> are run, I mean, about 40% of the of the income comes from from sales. And then the, about, you know, 40 to 50% of the rest of the income is from contributions and donations, which, by the way, out of it, 80, 90% is private and 10% is public. So if we look at Europe, the funding is actually the opposite. So, you know, 90% of the funding is public and the rest is private. The fact that, you know, we rely so much on private funding here in the U.S., it gives us a lot of flexibility and it gives us some opportunity to have conversations with donors about new projects Mm. the way i see it uh, is maybe in europe you know because of the funding relies so much on public funding is kind of more limited uh, and and there is less room for innovation okay that's one of the reasons i actually decided to continue my career with u.s orchestras is because i've seen a new movement a new trend of orchestras innovating and bringing you know new ideas in the community and Partnering and delivering musical experiences again beyond the stages in a more um, in in a way that resonates more with the world that we are living mm. uh, and and I think as we were saying before tradition is is great but I think it's important to continue to challenge the status quo and, and reinvent ourselves so I think the U.S. Orchestras are trying to get there, mm. whereas I see maybe in Europe um, the journey is taking a little longer. Having said that, you know, artistically speaking, of course, you know, we we've seen in the in the history like the the European orchestras were very well known by its artistic presence and and quality. However, in the last ten years, I've seen the U.S. orchestras improving and and delivering like incredible. Uh, I mean, you know, major orchestras, also mid-sized orchestras. The, the level getting up. Why? Because of the talent is been moving around the world, and you know you got someone studying in Europe and then in the U.S. or vice versa. So again, I'm very excited to be part of the U.S. orchestra industry. But those are some differences. Gotcha. So you talk a little about innovation and yeah. what what does innovation look like for for, an, for an orchestra? I know that part of it is technology, right? Technology has changed very much, so I'm sure that that factors in a lot of the the way that you present music, the way that you connect with people. So can you talk a little bit about the the innovative things that you have seen or that you would like to see in, in the industry? Yeah, uh, and, and let me start by saying that uh, when we're talking about innovation in orchestras, we are far behind what we maybe someone could think about, like the real innovation. Although I think 
that's great because we have a lot of opportunities to really jump in and become you know a huge player in, into that innovation part of it uh the first thing that comes to my mind is for an orchestra many orchestras during the pandemic started to live stream concerts mm-hmm. and then to build some uh, you know media and, and suddenly you realize you have so many cameras on the stage and and that enhanced the experience of users from from home watching an orchestra concert where before maybe it was like a couple of fixed cameras and you know you realize like now there's more possibilities mm-hmm. so that was two three years ago where we were pushed to make that jump but that's not enough i mean if you see like the world with you know artificial intelligence and you know immersive experiences mm-hmm. that we see in other industries we're far away i love to see orchestras you know thinking through Technology and orchestras, I mean, that's a, a, a relevant topic that we see in all, every year in conferences, like what's happening out there. If you go to, uh, let's say, you know, Disney World and you go to some of the, the offerings, you yeah. realize like you have the sounds and the, the, and the colors, the lighting, and uh, there's like a wind coming and, <laughs> and, and the whole thing is moving like, where am I, you know? So why we couldn't do that with music, with orchestras? So um, we're thinking, yes, we could we could think about that, right? Uh, of course, it always re- depends on the venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having that 360 perspective where, you know, you don't have only the music going one way, but maybe different ways. And so those are some some ideas there. But, um, you know, I've seen also like, you know, the brochures and the programs. Uh, many orchestras have now started to do it throughout the, you know, the, the phone, mm-hmm. Uh or the ticketing has changed completely, uh, you know, from, from the printed ticket to the, the apps. And I mean, we, we're still, again, far away from many others, but I think the industry is, is moving. Uh, another thing that I think is pretty cool, which we have taken from uh, the airline industry, we have partnered with a company called Vatic. And what we do is we have like dynamic pricing uh, depending mm. on events. So uh, we're getting to an event that is very popular. You know, we have kind of that dynamic pricing uh, incorporated into our ticketing. Uh, so there are things out there that, you know, we're, we're considering and, and love to explore more uh, in terms of innovation. And of course, programming. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, play new music. I, I love to, you know, play music f- for uh, like uh, living composers. Someone that, you know, can come to see you and explain, okay, this is why I make this music and this is what is happening with this music. I mean, that's a real, a real thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's to be part of the innovation yeah. strategy for everybody. Is that something relatively new to the industry is having, I was thinking of classical music as old music, but there are, you know, people making current yeah. classical music true true, yeah. true. Uh, that's been happening for years interesting because some of the composers that we know nowadays so much they were never discovered when they were alive mm. which is a real shame but I, I think that that's been, that's been for, forever um, do you think there's more opportunity for I think discovery so. now because we're so connected and because of technology I, and there's I think more so. access to, to be heard if you're creating things yes and there is more opportunity for artists to share their, their talent uh, and, and, and different parts of the world and mm. just to get to know you, to get to know more about what you do and what you care about. Yes, I think that you know globalization also have helped organizations like ours to to be more exposed and, and to receive more proposals for different artists than before, for sure. You mentioned technology with the pandemic live streaming. Yeah. Part of what you have now is people can watch previous performances, right? So you have kind of this built archive of, again, there's cameras, there's more you know elaborate ways of recording and creating an experience digitally that people mm-hmm. can revisit. Can you talk a little bit about the change that that has made in the way that you create work, the way that you offer things to people as far as 
now that we're able to record everything's in you know, much better in different ways, yeah. how has that changed or how's that added to kind of the offerings that you guys do? Absolutely. So the first thing that comes to my mind is the audience uh, exposure. So now we have patrons seeing our concerts from, I think, 26 states at least, and then five different countries. Mm. Something that we will never think about. So, you know, the audience base have increased because of technology, but also you realize, okay, we have maybe people that have connection to the state or to Reno or to the Reno field that living outside the state. Mm. And suddenly they, they become a donor. They want to support us. They see what we do and it's like, wow, that's, that's a huge thing for us. And I think we can get even farther there. The other thing, you know, you think about like live streaming and on demand. We are, as an orchestra, we're becoming like a, like a media type of organization, right? We're building so much content now we're thinking, okay, how do we best use this content and in which platforms are we using it to make sure that, you know, we continue to bring more music to audiences? Because to me, that's the main thing is just, you know, bringing more people to our halls and also bringing more people to your audiences outside the hall. So technology and bringing all this media and digital presence has helped us or is helping us to expand, again, letting people know what we do and understand, you know, the core of our programs. Yeah. The experience obviously is improved now that we have more technology and cameras, things like that, but it's not the same as seeing music live in person, right? And I know you have, we talked a little bit about different venues, different spaces. So I know you, again, have performances up at Sand Harbor. Are you doing it at Wingfield Park this year? No, we're going to do it at the J uh, Resort, the Globe Plaza, the okay. uh, Pops on the River, gotcha. uh, and then the um, the Patriotic Concert. Uh, oh, yeah, at the will, ballpark. Will be at the ballpark, yeah, exactly, yeah. the Greater Nevada Field. Uh, so we're very excited for these new venues for, you know, uh, both events. One will be July 3rd, uh, that's the uh, Patriotic Concert, and the other one will be July 8th. Gotcha. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the different experiences of hearing the orchestra in the Pioneer Center versus at the beach versus at the ballpark and just the, you know, the draw of those different spaces and different vibes, I guess, is probably a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the experience you get in an indoor versus an outdoor venue is completely different. Uh, Hopefully, if it's outdoor in a a good weather day, (laughs) no, no rain or snow. I mean, the acoustics is a huge one, of course, but also... If you go to an outdoor concert, I mean, you know, we encourage people to have a drink with you and, you know, have like more, it's more kind of, it seems like more casual, more, even more accessible depending on the outside of the Mm -hmm. outdoor venue. The type of music also helps to really, you know, have different environments there. So, I mean, each of the venues that you mentioned, I mean, for the Pioneer, for us, it's it's been our main home for many years and and it's been the, the home of the classics concerts uh, and also some of our traditions like Spirit of the Season. This is our uh, holiday tradition. We have kind of Christmas or uh, holiday music every year with the chorus very involved. So that's been a perfect place for us. Uh, as we expand and see new places with the Greater Nevada Field, uh, I'm very excited about this partnership and how we could see the orchestra performing there. I know we had a concert before I came here. It was the James Bond uh, mm. performance there. So it's going to be the second time we, we are going to be there because it's, again, the, the opportunity to bring more people there. I mean, it's, uh, the capacity is, is, is wider. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what is the, the impact that we can create uh, by bringing Patriotic Concert. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, with Pops on the River, uh, which again is going to be my first one coming up in, in July. I'm looking forward to see that, how it come, 
come in the in the Club Plaza, uh, mm-hmm. which is a pretty cool venue. I mean, I I had a tour the other day, and uh, it seems like you know with all the the set we have and the um, just the way the stage is set up, and I'm looking forward to see the orchestra performing there. And of course, if if it's outdoor, sometimes we need amplification. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we play at the Pioneer, for the most part, is uh, it's just purely sound, no amplification. Some of the places that we do, like the ESR, when we play movie music, mm-hmm. that was an amplified oh, okay. uh, concert just to make sure that, you know, everything goes out there. So that's a huge component, like thinking uh-huh. about, you know, amplified or amplified orchestra. Yeah. Does that change a lot of the way that you have to think about the performance? And is it really change a lot of the way that you do the work, whether it's amplified or not? You, you know, for, uh, for some people, really, really... Um, there are purists that they like to have the orchestra with no amplification. Mm. But depending on the venue, uh, I think we need it just to make sure that all the voices of the orchestra are being heard. And also, depending on the acoustics that we have, we, we just need it to project and make sure everyone on the audience is receiving the the sound. So that's why we have like sound engineers mm. and, and acoustical engineers working with us just to make sure that everything goes right there. Yeah. Gotcha. For the the Pops on the River and the Patriotic Concert, can you talk a little bit about the difference of the style of music? I know you have the classic series, which I want to ask you about that too. That's like the symphonies, but the Pops on the River and the Patriotic Concert, it's more familiar, popular type music, right? Can you talk a little bit about the type of music that you perform for those events? Yeah. So, so yeah. So for the the Pops on the River this year, we have the music of Motown. Mm. Uh, It's going to be the the, or theme. So, you know, you can imagine all, all type of music, uh, related to the Motown and and we had been working with a committee that has been helping us making the decisions of what you know what what to select uh, so that's been that's been uh, a good one I know we've been talking about potentially doing a Beatles programming there for the July 3rd it's more like patriotic you know music I mean we might have of course, we start with the national anthem there and then we have a number of uh, traditional symphonic patriotic music. I think it's, it's more like a family mm-hmm. family type of friendly exposure, I guess, if you want to say that, for, for like all patriotic uh, music. Gotcha. Yeah. I want to give you a chance to talk about the trip that you did not that long ago to oh. D.C. with the Kennedy yes. Center. So that's the Youth Orchestra. And I know that the, they got to go to D.C. and play at the Kennedy Center, which is a like iconic place to have classical music. Can you talk a little bit about the Youth Orchestra and, and that trip? Absolutely. Well, this is something I'm very passionate about. And um, we have four youth orchestras. You know, every two or three years, our senior youth orchestra gets the uh, the opportunity to travel. And I know in previous years, the the youth orchestra was that was playing a concert at the Carnegie Hall and also the the Walt Disney concert hall in Los Angeles. And this year in February, you mentioned we we went to the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., and that was an spectacular experience for every single one in the orchestra. You know, just uh, we had the the program, we performed the organ symphony from Camille Saint-Saëns, and, you know, we, we required an organ to play with the orchestra, and the Kennedy Center has an incredible organ right there. So, mm-hmm. I'm so happy that, again, Laura and, and the artistic team, they, they picked that piece because that day we had uh, five orchestras performing, five youth orchestras at the Kennedy Center, and we were the last one, the Reno Philharmonic. Mm. We had a representation from you know Georgia and um, uh, I think it was Oregon and other states. But seeing the Reno Youth Orchestra performing that organ symphony at the very end with the organ of the Kennedy Center and all the kids playing, it was just a... Uh, 
a very powerful thing. And then I got to meet with patrons from the Kennedy Center, like regular patrons that they got to see the National Symphony. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, like, what do you think about us? And and they said, you know what? I am so pleased that you guys perform the organ symphony because I don't get to hear that organ quite often. So <laughs> nice. I was like, yeah, you know, that's 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 wonderful. Uh, but beyond this touring, as I said, we have, again, with the four youth orchestras, we have at least two concerts a year. So we have the fall uh, showcase and the spring showcase. And, and then they rehearse every Monday. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a semester of hard work. And again, that's something that they do beyond their regular education, uh, some of them. And for us, it's very important. And by the way, they start with the youth orchestra and then some of them become uh, Reno Field players. Um, we have right now members of the Reno Field that have gone through that journey. And mm-hmm. to us, this is very important just to provide opportunity to local talent, to local artists, local musicians, and just see how they grow with us and see how, how important it is for them that the Reno Field. So, you know, I was just thrilled to, to see how successful was that tour. But also I'm looking forward to to see, you know, what other work we can do with the youth orchestras in the community. And if, if you don't mind, I wanted to touch on the education mm-hmm. uh, component. Because, oh, absolutely, yeah. Because, uh, you know, on top of the youth orchestras, we have the RPAC programs, which is the Reno Philharmonic Association Kids. And we do uh, mm-hmm. music programs for up to um, pre-sixth grade. In different schools, we, we go to Title One schools for the most part. You know, we have uh, a number of teachers that are, really making sure that these kids have access and opportunity to learn music. And I want to bring this up because we have found cases and stories of kids that were discovering music through RPAC, and then they were joining the youth orchestra, and then they become to, you know, arena field players. So to see that whole chain, you know, is really what we want to, we want to see more cases like that. Mm-hmm. To us, you know, that's going to be a, a focus just to make sure that these programs are connected within, with each other in the yeah. community. Yeah, I have a friend who's an elementary music teacher, and he's at a Title I school that has the RPAC program after school. And so how does it work? So it's kids have their normal school day, but then it's like an after-school program where they get kind of really early introductory training to playing instruments? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a, a number of teachers. Mainly it's focused on violin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have a little bit of guitar too. We provide the instruments to the schools, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, these teachers are making sure that the, the kids get the opportunity to, to learn from the very beginning. And then there are some type of recitals from here. Then you know, so so there there are opportunities for them and for the parents to go to the school and then see them performing mm-hmm. their recitals. I, I was uh, in one of them a uh, month, a couple of months ago, and it was fascinating to see, you know, the smiles on the parents. Like, oh wow, my kids been you know practicing, and now I can see a first concert ever. Right. You know, uh, so it's it's really rewarding to see the the younger. Uh, you know, generations just getting involved. And it's a nice complement to their regular education. I think, you know, that's the main thing. It's just, it's a nice add-on to, to mm-hmm. what we what they do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't know what they teach as far as music in schools in general now, but can you just talk a little bit about the importance of music to education in general, not just this program, yeah. but why is it important that we teach kids about music? Oh, well, you know, it's because of the opportunities that you can develop in your life through music, not only, you know, through friendships, through connections that when you study with them, but also what music brings to you. I mean, I think I was saying for like confidence, uh, leadership, communication, understanding, listening, self-esteem. I mean, it really helps the kids to sometimes find a passion, find mm-hmm. a hobby. 
I mean, I was like, this morning we had a young people's concert, uh, the Pioneer, mm-hmm. and it was, what, 50 or 60 minutes. And just to see to see everyone focus. I mean, we've seen nowadays the span of attention is like going down because we have so much phone and technology. I think it's helping to really, helping everyone to 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 focus and to be present. Mm. It's really hard to be present at times th- these days. So I believe like when you play, when you listen music, if you are there, you're present. And, and I think it makes a huge difference in the way they, they, they're going to grow. Yeah. Yeah. What did we miss? What else do you want people to know about the work that you do or the Reno Phil or, um, or what didn't we cover? Yeah. So let me think here. I mean, you know, I want to cover the next season, really, like what is coming up. Oh, uh, yeah. We didn't even talk about the classics here. That's that's one of the big things. So yeah. I'll, I'll, take a, I'll take a step back. Yeah. Tell me about what the, the classic series is. So I mentioned it's kind of the the big well-known it's the big symphonic shows at the pioneer right yes and we're we're working with our team really to make sure that when we present our new season it come across in a way that people understand we have the classics but we also have the summer events the pops events the family the education events if we deep dive into the classics itself which are happening at the pioneer we have an incredible season it's our season 55 we're going to have a number of fifth symphonies we have Beethoven fifth symphony Sostakovich fifth symphony Mahler fifth symphony we have a world-class guest artist coming to perform with us we have from a great pianist um, Daniela Lindman we have a great classical guitar players, uh, Rafael Aguirre, they both have Hispanic kind of heritage. So I'm hoping that, you know, for these couple of concerts, we can see some of our Hispanic Latino audiences joining us. We have John Nakamatsu coming back to Reno. I know he he came here before to perform a piano concerto and he's going to perform the uh, the Brahms Piano Concerto Number no. 1 with the Reno Field. Uh, we also partnered with the Davidson Academy. Uh, we have a great violinist called Charlotte Marx playing the violin, and she's going to perform the uh, uh, Mozart Violin Concerto. I mean, you know, if you look at the season, we have a Gershwin celebration. It's the 125th anniversary of Gershwin, mm. composer. So we're going to perform the, uh, you know, uh, that concert, An American in Paris. Many people will recognize the uh, Bolero from uh, Maurice Ravel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we close the season with Mahler Symphony Number no. Five, which is just a gorgeous symphony. We have the the whole orchestra there. Overall, I mean, it's just a a, a very uh, diverse uh, season. We will have a world premiere uh, from one of our local artists, Paul Novak. He's been uh, seen part of our youth orchestras, but also is a composer. Mm. Uh, we're gonna highlight Paul Novak in one of our concerts. Our season starts in October of 2023 until April of 2024. This is just the classics. So check us out, renofield.com, and you can find everything that we do there. And one last thing I wanted to say that we have a Disney concert, ah. uh, which is again for families. We play you know music from um you know lion king and oh, that's, aladdin that's and that, fun. That, what, is, what is that one that is uh, june 24th i believe june oh, okay. 24th so, come, so it's coming up soon. at the pioneer center and we have a double concert in two times the same, same day two concerts because we know we're going to have a number of people joining mm-hmm. uh so that's you know very very soon and then we, we you know we enter into all the summer programming with, which we already talked with the Tahoe concerts and uh, just getting ready for for the season so overall I'm just very excited about what is coming up so 
Yeah. Thank you. Super excited. Where, so where can people find the upcoming, all the all the information, all the upcoming stuff and get tickets and all that? Yeah. So get tickets. Uh, you can visit us on our website, uh, renofield.com, or you can give us a call. You know, one of our team members will explain to you all the type of concerts that we have and what is best for what you like. And also just come and see us into our office. We are at McKinley Center, so you can come down anytime and we'll happy to chat with you in person. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's Like I said, I don't have that much of a experience or knowledge of classical music but i am learning piano and i'm finding that i really enjoy playing the classical pieces more than the pop pieces on the that learning app that i'm using so i've i've developed more of an appreciation for classical music just from playing piano a little bit in recent months and it was great to learn about the reno phil and what you do especially because it's more than i think a lot of people realize i think that the immediate perception of classical music is sometimes much more limiting than what the reality is so it's good to learn more about what you do and how you're reaching new audiences well thank you it's been a pleasure um being here with you and thanks for the great questions and uh, insights that you provide too so uh, looking forward to uh to hear more of your podcast thank you so much thank you listeners thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of renoites and of course special thanks to my guest this week ignacio baron viela CEO and president of the Reno Philharmonic. Really great to learn about what the Reno Phil is doing and about some of their upcoming events. Should be a lot of fun this summer. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Renoites, please do me a favor and help spread the word. I always say that projects like this are only possible with word of mouth and listener support. So tell your friends, tell your family, share posts on social media. I have flyers. If you want to put a flyer up at your workplace, let me know. I'll give you a flyer. Anything we can do to spread the word to people who might not even know this show exists yet. There are tens of thousands of daily podcast listeners in the Northern Nevada area. Let's help find them. I really appreciate your help with that. If you have ideas or can help me advertise, shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at renoites and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. That also helps. Thank you so much for listening. Next week's episode is with Ashley and Colby Frey of Frey Ranch Farm and Distillery in Fallon. So not exactly a Reno episode, but really great conversation with them. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next Tuesday. Have a good one.